Brandon and band. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Muma, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and we're glad you're with us today, whether this is your first time or if you've been here for five years now. So uh, we're excited about what's happening here, and we want you to know that you're welcome. Uh, we want you to be a part of our family, and uh, so anything that we can do to serve you, please let us know. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? I think we would all agree that uh, it has been a little crazy. I don't know a lot about stocks and markets and bears and bulls and all those types of things and NASDAQs, but I am able to watch the numbers and know that they've been kind of heading south this past week. You can't get away from it. You see it on TV. That's all that people are talking about. We got our mutual fund updates in the mail yesterday. They were a little disheartening uh, about uh, some of the trends. And then this morning, uh, I'm leaving. I'm on my way to church. It's about 6, 10 a.m. I make my uh, daily stop at Village Pantry for a cappuccino and a newspaper. And on the radio at 6.15 in the morning, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the economy. And, you know, hearing these discouraging messages over and over, and you can't get away from them, you know, during this trying economic time, it, it creates fear, doesn't it? And it's easy to get scared. And, and this morning, I just want to open by just encouraging you to surround yourself with a different kind of message. And the message is to immerse yourself in God's Word and His promises and renew your commitment and in your trust in Him, not in your salary, not in your savings or in our national economy. And while all of these life issues are real issues that will have long-term effects and consequences for us, remember that God promises to walk with us in adversity. Consider what Psalm chapter 46 says in verses 1 and 2 and 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. And this passage goes on to say that nations will be in uproar and kingdoms will fall. But at the end of the day, God is still God and He will be God. But as you continue reading in verse 46, there's a real interesting verse and it's probably a verse that you've heard before and I just think it's so easy for us to, to race past it. And it's in the midst of all of this confident talk about God and His goodness and always being there. Verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And I know that might be a little different for us, but that's how I'd like to begin this morning. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And we're just going to be still for a couple of minutes. And whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or maybe not, you're still kind of checking all of this out. I want to invite you to take a chance of just talking to God this morning. And maybe life has been going so fast and you've just had a hectic weekend and you raced out of Friday's work and you got home and you've been messing with kids all weekend long and you haven't had a time to really sit down and just be quiet for a moment. Let's be quiet for just a minute and know that God is God and talk to Him. You do what you need to do with Him and then I'll close this in prayer.
God, we thank You for the promise that You are our refuge and our strength, that You are our help in present troubles. And Father God, I know that as we continue to listen to media reports over and over, it seems like the world is coming to the end. I'm just not sure that's the case. Will you just remind us this morning that you are God, that you take care of all things, that you know the details of our life and our story before they even come to pass. And I just pray that we would find encouragement in that today. We pray for our nation right now. We pray for our leaders as they make decisions about the future. Lord, would you give them wisdom? We pray for our upcoming elections and whoever are going to be the next, the next president, the next representatives of this country, Lord. We just pray for your guidance. And I pray for each person here today and just the day-to-day routine, the weekly routine, and all the things that come our way, some of the challenges that some of the people in this room are facing right now and searching for jobs or uncertainty about jobs and finances, God, would you provide? Would you give us that peace this morning, that reminder that you are in control and that you know all things? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think my wife will thank me later because I think that was my little girl who uh, went out of the room crying. <laughs> As we got started there. But uh, hey, have you ever been to Homerama? Isn't that a great term? I have no idea what Arama means, but uh, Homerama, I know I, I heard on the news recently, I think Zionsville is, is doing a Homerama or did a Homerama this summer. Uh, Homerama is this event where builders and contractors come together and they build the best of the best. They, they put together and construct, you know, their very best home with the, the greatest architecture and very elegant uh, landscaping and pristine design, and they take over an entire housing development, and then they invite the public to come in and see it. Well, many communities around the country do these Homerama events, and about a year ago, my wife and I, we got tickets, we got a babysitter, and we called it a date night, and we went to the local Homerama in Louisville, and, and I enjoy it. I look forward to, you know, to walking through other homes and uh, just seeing the designs. And, and, and if you've been there before, you know that decorators join with builders and outfit and deck out every home with, you know, bedroom suits and living room suits and audio companies come in and build these great home theaters. And there's all these latest gadgets and craftsmanship with cabinetry. And I mean, it looks like somebody lives there. It looks like something straight out of a Martha Stewart magazine or whatever you want to call it. And homes in this particular Homerama that we went to ranged anywhere from six to $800,000 to as high as 2.2, even $2.5 million. And so I, I was excited about this. And, and we arrived and we got in the parking lot and, and we walked to the very first house. And something was going on in my mind. It was almost as if God wanted to have this conversation with me about what was going to happen in me as I walked through each home. Because here's the reality. I knew that I was going to covet all over the place, all right? There was no doubt about it. And so I kind of just went ahead and got straight with God and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm going to covet this evening. I don't think there's anything that I can do about it, and I just hope that we can kind of square it all up afterwards. And indeed, that was the case. And so we walked to these homes, and there were all these great designs, and, you know, we went into these master suites, these these, these bedrooms that you'd never want to leave, you know. I mean, if, if the world somehow came to an end, you'd just close the door and you could survive and live out of your bedroom. You know, big jacuzzi tubs. And we went into this one master suite that had a second floor built into it where the closets were actually on the second floor of the master suite. Uh, we went into this one particular home and the light switches all had an iPod built into them. <laughs> 
So no matter what room you were in in the house, if you were listening to a little Coldplay and wanted to switch over to a little, you know, One Republic, you, you just, you, you, you tapped the iPod switch and you, you switched over to a different song. Or, or maybe you're taking a bubble bath and maybe you like to listen to a little Michael Bolton while you're taking a bubble bath. You could do that. I'm not saying that I would or that I have done that, but if you like Michael Bolton, that can happen. We went into this other house and all the homes had a home theater, but this one place was special down in the basement in the one corner of the house. And when I say basement, like I'm talking another community, uh, we, we, there was this theater that was like something straight out of the 50s. You, you pushed open these double doors and walked into this concession stand area where there were these glass cases with, you know, your favorite movie theater concessions and popcorn machine and all throughout the room on the wall were these uh, display cases with different movie posters in them. And then when you finally entered into the home theater area, there were these big, large leather recliners where you could sit and watch a movie. We walked into another home, might have even been the same one, that had the ultimate kind of men's room, you know, the, the, not, not I'm talking about the bathroom, but where, where the men would hang out. It was a Harley Davidson room. Now, I don't appreciate motorcycles or hogs like some of you probably do, but this Harley Davidson room was, was outfitted with this bar over in the corner, large screen television, you know, leather couches and recliners, high top tables. But over in the corner of this Harley Davidson room was this glass display case with a Harley-Davidson motorcycle sitting in it, okay? Now, again, we're in the basement of this house, this Harley-Davidson room, and here's a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, probably something special with a particular name. I have no idea. But there it was, all waxed up, as shiny as could be in this glass display case. And the fir- first thought that ran through my mind was, you know, that's pretty cool, but what a waste. I mean, you've got a Harley-Davidson motorcycle that you love and you appreciate it, and you've got it down in your basement that you can never ride. Well, who am I to realize or even know that there was actually an elevator built into that display case that would lift that motorcycle up to the garage where a door would open? It's like something straight out of the Bat Cave, that if you wanted to ride your Harley, you could take it out and then you could bring it back to the elevator at the end of the day and lower it back down into your trophy room, into this Harley-Davidson room spectacular sight, you know, fun evening, great time walking through these homes and seeing how each of these builders and decorators and designers came together as one team to build the best of the best and to put these great homes out for others to see. Well, in Exodus chapter 25, we learn about another great home construction that took place in the Bible. I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 25 right now. Go to the second book in your Bible and go to to chapter 25, verse 1. We're going to look at that in in a second. But in Exodus chapter 25, God commanded Moses to build a home, to build a place for himself, for God. And as God instructed, Moses ordered the people the nation of Israel as one unit, as one team, to come together to build this house for God. Now, this isn't the temple. The temple would come later in history, but this first house commanded by God to Moses to the people was called the tabernacle. Uh, Your Bible might even refer to it as the tent of meeting, but it's the same thing. And the tabernacle was one of a kind. It was something something that had never been constructed before. It was a place like no other, And it became a spiritual center for the nation of Israel. Look at your Bibles, if you would, at Exodus uh, chapter 25 and and follow along with me as I read here, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. 
you are to receive the offering for, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And these are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, I've got a picture here to show you. This is not the uh, exact uh, replica of the tabernacle. It's like something out of Legoland, actually. But it's one of the best that I could find on the Internet to just give you a bit of a visual of this tabernacle that God had commanded the people to build with the finest materials available, the best of the best. And every piece of the tabernacle was, was assembled and designed with precise detail. The tabernacle was a portable device. Uh, the people of Israel were on the move. If you remember from the Bible, they had been in Egypt. God removed them from Egypt, and they are traveling through the wilderness now on their way to the promised land. And along the way, God gave them this vision of what could happen, this possibility in the tabernacle. And what did he say? He said, if you look back to Exodus 25 again, bring me an offering. Let everyone whose heart prompts him give. Make a sanctuary for me. It will be a place for me. The tabernacle served as a sanctuary. It was a house for God. The word tabernacle here, it's found, the, the meaning of it is found right there in uh, verse 8. Again, it says, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. The word tabernacle, if you're taking notes, means dwelling place. The word tabernacle means dwelling place. And the point that I want you to see is that the, the tabernacle served for so much more than just a structure. Uh, the people didn't look at it with pride because of its great looks. More importantly, they were excited about what it symbolized. And here's what it symbolized. For the people of Israel, the tabernacle symbolized the presence of God with His people. It was the symbol of heaven and earth coming together. And it's difficult for understand the importance of this because as Christians, we have the benefit and the promise of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God lives in you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, then God lives inside of you. But this is not the case in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, God himself, did not come to the people uh, until Pentecost, until later in the New Testament. But for the Israelites in Exodus, the tabernacle symbolized the presence of Almighty God. The tabernacle, for the first time, provided the means by which anyone could approach an otherwise unapproachable God. And so it came to, to symbolize this place as they looked at it in the middle of their camp. It came to be this symbol of, of heaven and earth coming together with this new meaning and with this new hope. It was a picture of what could be. And here's what I like about the text. God gave the vision to Moses Moses took it to the people, and then the people of the camp participated together as one to make the tabernacle a reality. God worked through the people in order to accomplish His will in the world. Now flip over a few chapters, if you would, to Exodus chapter 35. This is where we actually begin to see, see it coming together, and I just want to let you see some of the specifics of it. Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. 
Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil. Sounds like something out of Dr. Seuss or something here. But uh, you you were to bring all of these things. And, And the point is that the people gave willingly from their resources. They gave their treasures. You know, from what you have, give an offering to the Lord. All those who were willing, those who prompted them, the people came forward to finance this great project that God had placed before them. And they embraced the vision. They, they understood it. They saw the value that was in it. They were excited about it. They, they gave sacrificially from what God had already given them. And they gave their money and they gave their yarns and linen and precious metals. Verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tents and its coverings, clasps and frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the curtains, the tent pegs, the woven garments, uh, and all of these verses here. I know that I'm skipping over them, but the people, what I want you to see is they, they not only gave their resources, but they gave of their time. They gave of their skills. The blueprints for the tabernacle were given by God. And every intricate detail had a purpose. But the people came forward willingly, one by one, to help make the project happen. And so with those specific gifts and skilled, uh, skills offered that, that God used, everything that was offered up as an act of worship for His glory, but to carry out what He had laid before them. And they found joy in giving, and they found joy as they served together as a community. Verse 20 Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting for all its service and for the sacred garments. All of them, the entire community, it says the whole Israelite community, skip over to verse 29 now. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. And so no one was left out. This, this was an, uh, an entire effort, a, a full participation by everyone in the camp. Every person had a place, all of the men, all of the women. I would argue that there were children too. And there was something for everyone. And for the Israelite community, stranded in the desert, following God, being obedient to God, offering up their lives to Him, the Israelite community experienced this overflow of generosity as people gave of their financial resources and gave of their time to fulfill the, God, the plans that God had laid before them. They participated in helping bring heaven to earth. They helped with the hope. But what do you think motivated them? You know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, what really motivated them? It certainly wasn't a tent. All right, building a tent in the middle of the desert isn't all that exciting. It's not very inspiring. It's so much more. The, the overflow of the generosity that this camp experienced was a result of everything the tabernacle represented. It meant so much more because it was a picture of hope. It was a picture of what could be. And, and while it was shaped like a rectangle, you know, it was never intended to be a, a box in which God, like the pagan gods around them, could be safely stored and, and called upon at, at the camp's convenience. 
And the tabernacle was more than that. It, it, it reminded the people every day who God was, that He was the creator of all things. And in retrospect, it was a hint that the God of the universe just might want to have a personal relationship with His people. And so the tabernacle became the center of hope and forgiveness. It was eventually replaced by the temple, a more permanent structure, same purpose. And when the temple was destroyed and the people of Israel were carried off into exile many years later, their self-esteem and their pride as a nation took a major hit, one that never fully recovered, even with the building of the second temple. I mean, think about it. Do you know why the Jews and the Muslims fight over holy land today? Because for the Jews, they see that holy land is the exact place where the temple should be rebuilt. They need it. They want it. It means so much to them. It symbolizes God and His desire to have a relationship with the people. Now, fast forward some years. Jesus is on the earth. He's walking the earth. And well-known are His words in John chapter 2, verse 19. Just listen to what he said to the, these people gathered around him. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And his misstatement was misunderstood by those who were listening. They thought he was crazy. I mean, they thought Jesus was going to pull some, you know, superior extreme makeover home edition, you know, kind of thing in one weekend with the temple. You know, we'll tear it down, we'll rebuild it, drive a bus in front of it, reveal it, and you'll get to see it, you know, for the first time. But no, Jesus was speaking of something else. Look at verse 21. He says, but the temple, or it says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus was speaking about his body. Over in John chapter 1, verse 14, we get another hint of what's happening here. John chapter 1, 14, a verse that you probably remember. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word here is skinu, this Greek word for, for dwelling. If you translate that Greek word in the Hebrew text, the Hebrew word is skene, the same word which means tabernacle. But what was being said here was that the word became flesh and not only dwelt among us, but tabernacled amongst us. Because see, God was doing something. I mean, when God built the tabernacle through the people, He had a greater plan in mind. God has always had a plan to redeem and save His people. The tabernacle re represented this place, this meeting place between heaven and earth, but the tabernacle was eventually replaced by the temple and eventually replaced by Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled God's plan. He came to earth from heaven and tabernacled amongst us. And He lived and He died and He rose again in order that you and I could have hope, that we could find forgiveness, and that we could have life. And just like the tabernacle did for the Israelites, that's what Jesus did. I think that's pretty cool, but it gets better because there's still another piece. Because we know that Jesus ascended into heaven as followers of Jesus Christ, we wait anxiously for His second return and some days more than others. But His presence has not left us. He lives in His people. God lives inside of those who believe in Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And then later in verse 17, it says, you are the temple. There is no longer a building on this earth that serves as God's dwelling place. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are God's dwelling place. 
you have a role and a purpose in helping others to see around you that there is a, a better way to live, that there is a God who desires to have a relationship with us, that there is a God who offers hope, that there is a God who offers forgiveness. God has a plan to rescue the lost in this world today. It's a plan to bring hope to this world and glory to his name. It began with the temple. It got really good with Jesus, and it continues in the hearts and lives of you and me. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are symbols of God's presence on this earth. Our lives, our testimonies, our our, our message represent this meeting place between heaven and earth. Our responsibility is so great as followers of Jesus, as a Genesis church family, because of what God has left us to do, what he has asked us to do until he comes back. And that carries a lot of responsibility as a Genesis church family, doesn't it? You know, that that God has a purpose and he has a plan for you and I being a part of this community. You can see why he has called us to be light. You can see why he, he says that we are his ambassadors, that we are his hands and his feet. And you know, as I look around, as I get to know this church really well, I I can see that God has been good to this church, that his hand is upon this church, that he is leading this church, that he has a plan for the future, and he's given us this great building, hasn't he? I mean, when you look around and you think that, you know, one year ago you were entering into this building and beginning to enjoy this place and all of the people that have come in and out, you know, over the last year, you know, God's good. And, and as you look around this building and this, this warehouse effect, I mean, it really says a lot about who Genesis is and, and the type of church that we want to be. We want to be a place where anyone can come from any walk of life and feel comfortable here just being themselves. And so we get to meet here every week, and the the people in the early church, they met every week for worship, and we do the same. And as your leadership team, you know, and as your pastor, I want you to know that we are praying right now and asking God what He wants from us. Where is it that He is leading us? What plans, what design does He have for us as a church? And I believe that as God spoke to Moses, that He is going to speak to us as a church, and He is going to call us to a task that will be greater than anything we could ever hope to accomplish on our own. But He has promised that He will walk with us and help us to accomplish this. But it's going to mean something for us as a church, you know? What does it mean? You know, what are we asking? You know, what what does God want to do with this space, you know, just right here on the other side of this wall? I don't think God wants us to have an arena football team, you know, play their games over here. But, you know, maybe that'll eventually become the, the, uh, I doubt it. But anyway, I don't want to give the wrong impression. But we want to develop our our children's space to make sure that we have the very best facility for reaching children in this community because they are the future. And I know that's a little bit cliche, but it is the truth. They are the future. They are the ones in the schools and and who will eventually, you know, be the future of the church. And it's now. And we need more room. I don't know if you've been over in the Gen Kids space recently or not, but it is very exciting what's happening there as those rooms are jam-packed every single week. And it's a problem. It's a great problem. You know, those are the types of problems that a church hopes to have, a problem for space. And and so we're blessed with them. And and we've got a great deal of open space outside of this room right now. And, And I'm not ready to make a great commitment, but I just want you to know we're praying about, God, what is it that you want us to do with the space that you have given us? 
How can we best use this place that you have given us as a church family where we can come together and worship and reach others? And in addition to that, as you look around this building, there are many other designs and plans and details that have not yet been completed. And all of them are intended to make this an inviting place, a comfortable place for people to come in and to worship and to build relationships with one another. And some of these projects have been put on hold for various reasons. But God's given us this great facility, and it's unique, and it says a lot about who we want to be, and we're praying for what's next. You know, God, how, how can we best use everything that you've already given to us to get ready for what's coming next? And so we need to be thinking and praying about that, and we need to be thinking and praying about this room. Uh, this is a great day, and it, it's fun when people have to start getting up, and it might be a little inconvenient, and you might be sitting a lot closer to somebody than you really want to be sitting to them right now. But, but it's exciting to see this room full, and pretty soon... Uh, this room is, is going to get very crowded. And we're excited about that. That's great. That's what we want. Not to pump us up, not to make anybody feel good about themselves, not so that I can pat myself on the chest. Absolutely not. But it has been what we have been called to do. We've got a message to communicate to this community, and we want people to hear it, and we want them to feel invited and welcome to come into this place. And we want to be sure that everyone has a seat. We have to be sure that everyone has a seat. And so we're going to make sure of that. And so that's why I believe that by January, I feel like a president right there, a presidential candidate, but by January, we're going to have to go to two services. And uh, I know that that's exciting, but that's going to be a stretch for us as a church to, to move to two worship hours. But here's why we know we need to do that. It's going to open up more seats. It's going to make more room for people who are coming, for, for the people that you're meeting and inviting to be a part of this church with you. It will open up more room for children in our children's ministry area so that we can teach them uh, the gospel message. And new and additional service times mean, you know, are great ways. The books say it. Everyone says it. The experts say it. If you want to grow your church, start another worship service. And we also believe that this will be a good thing for volunteers. You know, I, I talked to one of our volunteers the other day. You know, bless her heart. She is serving three to four times a month right now in children's uh, with Gen Kids. That's great. But, but I believe that all of our volunteers should have the opportunity to serve, and, but then to also worship every single weekend. And so you'll be able to serve in one hour and then worship in another hour with your family and with others who come with you. But we want people to be able to worship each week. And I know that some of you have said, hey, I'd be more than happy to serve in Gen Kids or to serve in some other areas, but I need to worship each week. And that's okay. You know, I, I'm glad that you're selfish about that because some of you just know, hey, I need Sunday to get through the rest of my week, and that's okay. And we believe by, by starting another worship hour, though that'll give you the opportunity to step forward and to be able to serve into places like Gen Kids. And there are new challenges that come with two services too, and while we create more space and made, maybe greater convenience for everyone, you know, it's going to create the need for more volunteers. You know, people stepping forward saying, hey, you can use me, whatever it takes. And we'll need additional help with, with student ministry team and the host team and the cafe team and the info hub team and the band and the tech people, and, and I know that I'm leaving people out. But here's the great thing. We're on the move. We believe that God is preparing this church for something great. And my desire is that as the leader of this church, that this church family and this church body will come together and say, we want to go where God's going. We want to be a part of it. What does it take? What will it require of us? You can count me in. And getting ready and getting prepared for something like this, for the people uh, in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, it, it meant something for them. There was a personal challenge for everyone, and there's a personal challenge for us too. Uh, and so I just have two things that, that I want to challenge us with as we, we think and we pray about what God wants for us. 
And that is the first thing as a church family. We're going to have to continue giving sacrificially. You know, the people in the book of Exodus, they gave sacrificially from what they had as God moved them. And I want to invite you to do the same. It's the money thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's the people giving financially towards the work of the tabernacle. It's how the church works today. But let me just give you a little bit of background because here's the truth. The elders, the leaders of your church uh, set a budget for 2008, and we're currently working on one for 2009. And the budget is very modest, but there's some faith built into it too. You know, God, we're going to trust that you're going to provide. And so they set the bar high. And when you give each week, the money that you give goes directly into the general budget of this church. And money from the general budget goes to pay for things like the lease of this building. It, the offerings given, you know, pay for salaries and benefits of your staff, for supplies for the children and, and student ministry, for brochures and bulletins and coffee cups and chairs and tables. It pays for paint on the walls. It, it pays for light bulbs. It pays for electricity and speakers that go bad. It pays for flushing the toilet which we all appreciate when everyone continues to flush the toilet, you know? It's always a good thing. And with our budget, the current budget that we have in place, it requires that as a church we give $9,400 on a weekly basis. And if you've been watching the bulletin, you know, for the, for the past few months, you know that it's been a very challenging year. If you've been breathing and walking around this world, you know that it's been a very challenging year for, for many different reasons. And, and I'm going to be honest because you can read in the bulletin, you can see it for yourself. Right now, we're $86,000 behind budget for the year, and, and I don't, I don't want to startle with you with that. It, it's just the facts. Uh, and with a pastoral transition and, and a difficult economy and rising costs, uh, these were surprises, but yet not surprises at the same time. Uh, we knew that it was going to be a challenge, and, and I want to tell you as your leader that we are being very careful with our spending that we are being very careful with our, 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 and very frugal with how we spend money. I mean, my wife and I are doing it at home. I know you're doing it as well. Um, and uh, we want to be good stewards. And so we've put projects on hold right now. We're prioritizing every expense and asking, is this important? Is this essential right now for us as a church? And thankfully, we have had some reserves that we've been able to draw from, some reserves that I think God was preparing this church for to help meet some of the monthly expenses. But in the next couple of months, that, 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 that's gonna, that's gonna, it, it's going to decrease. It, it's it's going to go away. But here's what I know. Here's what I believe. That God is our refuge and He is our strength. And I believe that God's hand is on Genesis Church, that He is a plan that He is going to reveal to us as a community, and He's going to work through us as a church family to make sure that we get there. Um, I believe that God could work in such a great way that he could replenish all $86,000 that we're behind right now. But our faith will not be in the economy. Our faith will not be in any rescue bill. Our faith will be in God. And as I reflected on this whole tabernacle project this morning, here's what hit me. God asked the people in the book of Exodus to give at probably one of the most difficult times in their life. They were in the desert. They had no home. They had no idea what tomorrow held. But it was in that time of great need that God worked in such a powerful way through each person and gave them a greater reason to live and a hope and a faith to believe that as they gave, He would give back to them. I want to say thanks for giving. 
because I know that you have been sacrificial in your giving and very faithful. I did not share this with you to shame you. We just believe as a church that we always want to be honest with one another and share where we are, and we hope that you'll be able to do the same. And I believe that as God has been faithful in the past in this church, I believe that he's going to be faithful now. I believe that he is going to provide. And it is evident that he is always, that this is a generous church and a giving church. And I just want to say, let's be faithful during this season. Let's each and every one of us ask God, God, what do you want to do through me to support your church and to support your efforts? The second thing is this, to not only give uh, sacrificially, but it's to serve wholeheartedly. The people in the book of Exodus, this Israelite community and nation, they served wholeheartedly as they used their gifts. And, and I'm amazed and grateful for how friendly and hospitable this church is. Uh, the elders talked about it in our interview about how special this place is. My wife and I have experienced that firsthand. Over the last few weeks, we've had many friends uh, come and visit this church from Louisville and from Illinois and, and from Fort Wayne, and on each occasion, they have all said, your church is so friendly, it is so evident that they love Jesus, and, and I think it's just all over this church. So thank you for serving. Thanks for giving of your time and your energy because it's important, and as you, as you serve in the worship service and in the cafe or in Gen Kids, uh, thank you for what you do. I've, I've seen people in here as early as 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings getting this place ready for people who are coming to worship here. And, and I'm watching people step forward right now in the student ministry and people who are, who are serving with our middle school students and high school students. I met with some of our small group leaders last night who are every week inviting people into their homes and leading Bible studies. I went out to the Proud Heritage Picnic a couple of weeks ago and saw many Genesis people serving at the Proud Heritage Picnic, reaching out to others. Genesis is a serving church, and we've got room to grow. Uh, the, the task is great. And I believe that God is calling every one of us who call this church their home to step up and to serve in some way. And that's why I think that by January, we're going to need 100 new volunteers. We're going to need 100 people who are going to step up for the first time and say, you can count me in. I don't have much time, but I'll give you the time that I do have to serve in some capacity. And, and so I want to invite you to find a place to serve in this church to try some things out, you know, whether it be on the host team or, you know, for the info hub team or in children's or, or helping to maintain this facility. Every role has a purpose. It's going to take every single one of us, and we all want to join together to do God's work. Tonight is our leadership community. We do it periodically throughout the year. It's at six o'clock. We want to invite every one of you to come back. It's going to be a time where we'll come together in this room. We'll have some worship together. Steve Wallen, the chairman of our elders, is going to, going to challenge us with a message uh, as we talk about what it means to be a serving church and every one of us coming together to serve to make sure that we're doing our best to reach this community and the people that are coming in. We'd like to invite you to come tonight. If you're serving in a ministry, if you lead a ministry, we want you to be here. If you're not serving in any way and just want to come check it out, come check it out tonight. You know, there, there are no strings attached. We won't uh, force you uh, to get involved in anything, but just come learn. Just come hear about what people are doing and how they're serving, and, and you'll have an opportunity to ask some questions. And if, if you took a break for the summer from serving, we want to invite you. This is a great time now to, to get back in. We have immediate needs in many areas, especially in Gen Kids. But as we go to two services, it's going to take more. Uh, and we need you. Let me say it again. We need you. This church is not run by paid staff. This church is run by volunteers. And many of you are already doing that, and, and we believe there's room for more. We are the body of Christ. We're His church. And, and here's what I think. I, I believe we can do it. 
I believe that we can face any challenge that comes before us by putting our faith and our trust in God, by, by giving financially, by, by serving uh, wholeheartedly. And I believe as we begin turning outwards towards this community and serving people in our schools and our offices, maybe some specific projects that we undertake as a church, more and more people are going to walk through these doors every week. And that's an exciting thing. And we want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can to communicate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And, you know, for the people in the Old Testament, again, I, I thought about what was their motivation? You know, why, why give of your own personal resources? Why serve with everything that you have for a project in the middle of the desert? Well, for them, it was so much more. They were looking towards what it really meant and what it could mean for people's lives and how it could change them. I wanted to share uh, just real briefly with you before I close here a letter that I received uh, a few years ago. I was serving at a church in Michigan uh, at this time, and, you know, we had people coming in and out every week uh, just like here. And I'll always remember this one particular Sunday that this young lady came into our church, and it was obvious that she was new. Uh, she looked a little different from everyone else. And I met her that first night, and many from our community went up and introduced themselves to her and something began to happen in her life, and she shared a letter with me, and I just want to read a portion of that letter with you. She writes, Pastor Paul, your sermon last week was awesome, which I just wanted to read that for you, you know, I, that's, the, that's the best part of the letter. <laughs> she said, I come and listen to you preach every week, and I always learn something. However, this past week, I guess I really needed to hear what you had to say. The sermon touched my heart enough enough that it made me cry. Peace with God is something I struggle with daily. I see and count the blessings God is giving me every day, and I thank Him for these blessings. But the struggle for me is all the blessings that have been taken away, either by God or by someone else. I struggle with wanting to know why, to understand the reasons behind my loss and my pain. And in my heart, I realize that I am on a need-to-know basis, and when it's important, God will let me know what's going on but sure is hard to be patient. Peace, that sounds really nice. I'm so tired of being unhappy. I've been miserable since I was 10 years old. 15 years of being unhappy. Peace sounds really good. Most of the time I feel like God has forgotten that I even exist. And see if I remembered I was, you know, here and then he couldn't possibly let all these things, you know, that have happened in my life actually happen. At 6 my dad remarried, and my stepmom used to get mad and drag me around by my hair. She used to hit me and abuse me and slap me into walls. At 10, my older stepbrother started molesting me. I told my dad, and he said I was lying. I told my mom, and she said there was nothing she could do about it. At 13, my dad finally walked in on the molestation. He told me how it was all my fault. And my stepbrother bragged to his friends about it, and a few months later, he quit molesting me but then one of his friends raped me. At 14, I, I moved to live with my mom, and I started a new school, and the kids at school started calling me names and would spit at me, and, and this continued through high school. When I was 14, my mom uh, let me go out on my first date, and it went okay. We went to a movie, and afterwards, unfortunately, I was raped for the second time in my life. I was 14. At 18, I got married to a man who ended up beating me, so I divorced him. At 19, I dated a guy who, like my ex-husband, used me as a punching bag. 
And at 21, I married my current husband. He's got a good heart if he isn't drinking, which isn't very often. At 24, I had my son. He's wonderful, except that after I had him, I had terrible thoughts of doing something to him. This is the short version of my life story. I've tried to commit suicide many times. I don't know why I'm still here, and I wake up every morning wondering why God hasn't taken me. But about two months ago, something changed. I don't get up in the morning upset that I woke up. I don't feel like dying anymore, but I know that I have a lot of room to grow. Thank you for this church. Thank you for listening to me. And thanks for letting me be a part of this family. It's probably helping more people than you realize. I'll call my friend Abby and just say that I don't want to invite you to give sacrificially or to serve wholeheartedly for the sake of bricks and mortar and lease payments and utility bills. I want you to do it for Abby. And when you serve in Gen Kids or when you hand out a bulletin at the door, I want you to serve for people like Abby. And as you welcome new people into this church, as you meet your next door neighbor for the very first time, I want you to hang on to the possibility that there could be a little Abby in them, just a person who's looking for some hope and the possibility that there is a better life, that there is forgiveness, and that there's a reason to live. And I believe that we can be that kind of church where we serve for those reasons, where we give for those reasons, and believe that God has His hand upon this place, that He is going to use us to do something great in this Noblesville, this Hamilton town, or Hamilton community. And you get to be a part of it. And I get to be a part of it. And out of it, we have a reason to live. I'll end with this, and I promise. The project was coming to a close, Exodus chapter 36, verse 2. It says, Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on their sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord had commanded to be done. Verse 6, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. My prayer for this church is that we would experience God's hand and God's presence and His vision in our life in such a powerful way that we experience this overflow of generosity as we give and as we serve those people that God puts into our lives. And as we come to a close, you know, if you're here this morning and maybe this is your first time or maybe you've come for several months now and you're still trying to figure out what this is all about, here's the message that we want you to know. That God is crazy about that little girl named Abby and God is crazy about you too. And he sent his son Jesus Christ in this world to die for you and to die for me. And he's made that life and that forgiveness available to you. And we would love to talk with you about that. And so we're going to sing and we're going to worship now together as a church and then the service will come to a close. 
And then I and some of our elders will be here up front. And if you want to talk a little bit more about where you are in your life now, right now, we invite you to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for what you teach us through your word each week. And I know that sometimes the lessons and the challenges that you call us to seem greater than anything we would ever be capable of. But we know that you're God and we're not. And so we pray that you would guide us and direct us. We pray that you would move in our life in such a powerful way that you would, you would ask us to trust you right now and believe that you're going to do th- great things through this church. We're looking forward to not only the present, but we're looking forward to the future and what you've called us to do. Thanks that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.